I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design with a visit this week. And in keeping with our Northeast swing, this is Kevin Murphy of K.A. Murphy Interiors, a Manhasset, New York-based firm led by a super-driven creative in Kevy herself. Love this story, and I think you will too. Kevy was later than many to the design industry because she first attended Boston University, became an attorney, and later a partner at a New York City firm. She and her husband bought a house, and she realized she needed some help. Now, you have one logical option, right? Yeah, you hire a designer. No. Kevy realized her love for design and enrolled at the New York School of Interior Design. Exactly. I'll let Kevy tell her story, but this is one of those incredibly interesting creatives who started in a very different place and is now crafting and creating some exquisite work, and you'll hear all about it right after this. I am incredibly proud of Convo by Design in year 10, and I'm equally proud of my partnership with Thermosol. They've been presenting partners of Convo by Design for three years now, and there is a certain amount of pride that comes with saying that the show is presented by the company that is the best in the world at what they do. Thermosol engineers the most exceptional smart shower products and steam shower systems worldwide for a few reasons. They were the first company to design patent the technology here in the U.S. dating back to 1958. Thermosol, a U.S. brand, a U.S. manufacturer in Round Rock, Texas, employs an engineering team that designs, tests, and continuously refines the product. Their quality control team tests every single steam generator before it departs the factory. Who else does that? Nobody. I have had the pleasure of working with some world-class designers and architects who tell me And you probably know this, that the idea of luxury has changed and continues to change, especially when clients want a spa-like bathroom. Steam is mandatory. Or it's just not considered a a, a luxury space. And if you want to add steam, you have one true option. It's Thermosol. And now, Thermosol, the industry leader in steam, bath equipment, and technology since 1958, is enhancing their already stellar family of products with new indoor and outdoor luxury saunas. Available in three design configurations, each sauna is handcrafted from clear western red cedar or Nordic spruce, inspired by the brilliance of northern European sauna technology and design. A luxury bathroom isn't luxury without steam. If you want luxury, you have one option. It's Thermosol. Check them out at thermosol.com and at thermosol on the socials. I absolutely love that answer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I always make a point at, at the start to ask, you know, do you, do you have any questions before we get going? I just, you know, obviously I want to make everyone comfortable when they, when they come in the studio and your response was absolutely classic. And because you're no BS, your response was, uh, no, I'm pretty good from the hip considering my previous career, which, by the way, I love that response. And I love that you are no BS. Um, tell me something. How does one go from a, an ADA in Brooklyn and, and a lawyer into design? I know the story. I'm just fascinated by it. <laughs> and I want to hear you tell it. Um, well, Um, it wasn't necessarily a course that I knew I was going to be on, obviously. Um, but what wound up happening was I, um, had four kids. So I was a partner at a firm, uh, in midtown Manhattan and doing medical malpractice defense work for doctors and hospitals. And I got pregnant with my first baby at 35 and I was like, I'm going to stay home, I think. And it was a hard decision. I stayed home and then I accidentally had three more. Um, They weren't an accident, but it just really did happen (laughs) really quickly. I had four of them in five years. And I, after the last one, we had done some renovations in Brooklyn. We had bought a summer home and I was involved. I worked with a designer And I was like, I'm going to sign up for a class at the New York School of Interior Design. They have an intro to interior design to see if I like this. Let me give it a shot. And I loved it. And it was taught by an adjunct, which is a person that has a job and then also teaches. And it was awesome to hear his experience because he was an accountant. 
he worked for Lanvan and he was an accountant and he loved the design of the office space part. So he went back to school. So I thought that was inspiring. There's a lot of people like me, um, not necessarily lawyers, but second career people. And I went home and said to my husband, I think I'm going to like this. I want to sign up. And he was like, great. And then I want to say like midway through the semester when I was at school till one o'clock in drafting, he was like, what is going on? I said, I think I got hoodwinked. I didn't realize it was going to be hours and hours of work. This is nothing like law school. Law school was like steady and studying. This was like full on. They gave you too much work that you were never going to get done. That was the point. So needless to say, I love a challenge. So I decided to stay and I enrolled and um, I signed up for the certificate program. And then I enrolled in the associates program. Ultimately, I didn't finish with school, but because I started my business and my business coach was like, you need to stop school. Like, what are you doing? Because I felt like I needed the four-year degree because I came from a seven-year degree from law, undergrad and law school. And that's sort of how it, it happened. I got my first job. I hired my two roommates from college to help me remotely. I was doing remote before that was even a thing because I had no one to help me. And I got a really awesome job in Manhattan, gut renovating a two-bedroom apartment. It was my first job. And it was a really great like um, a great experience. It was a great budget. I was brand new. The budget was $500,000. I was like, I've got this. I did the whole construction, redid everything and designed it. And it was awesome. Do you remember how you got the job? Was it a friend of a friend? Was it a referral? Yes. What? So it was a friend of a friend. It, it was a brother of a friend, actually. My two kids went to preschool at this local uh, school in Manhasset, Our Lady of Grace. And my friend contacted me and said, listen, I put my brother in touch with this designer from our hometown, a town over um, a couple of over from Manhasset, but they don't want to go to the city and they don't want to do construction. And I think you would be a better fit anyway. Meet my brother. I think you guys would work out awesome. And we did. He was the best client. I mean, the best. He was a Wall Street guy, worked a ton. He had just been recently divorced. He had just bought this apartment. He rented the apartment across the hall. We had like really great vibe together. And I had a heart to heart with him. And I said, I need you never to come back here until it's done. Because if you're peeking in, looking at little things, it's just not going to be the same thing. And he was like, no problem. And he did that. And he really didn't know what he even wanted. He just liked gray and blue. Surprise, surprise. What guy doesn't love gray and blue? And, um, you know, he was, he asked a couple of questions because his girlfriend wanted to know. And that was it. So he didn't see anything, choose anything, anything. And it was amazing. So that was my first intro. <laughs> Dream client. Okay, so I got a question for you. And it's kind of a it's it's kind of a silly question at the at its face, but because I talk to so many designers who have come from other from other careers, and I get that a lot. You know, there's kind of like this this path to becoming a, an amazing designer decorator. It, you go to school for it. You get the certificate, the associates, the degree, or you go the apprentice route where you you work for someone else and you learn under their tutelage how to do this but there really is no right or there's a ton of wrong ways to do it but there's no real right way to do it it's it's it i've talked to agents from C caa who have become designers i've talked to psychologists and psychiatrists who have become designers you you went to law school you have a 7 year degree you've you were with a firm in new york you were an ada uh, did you did you feel a, a sense of imposter syndrome when you became a designer because you you had done these other disciplines and launching out of it you've gone from a very technical academic career into one that is very very creative did you feel that did you have to overcome that or did you get that first client and then it was Katie bar the door I'm I'm gone I got this. I think personally, I had the imposter syndrome because I wanted the degree, because I wanted the degree, not because a single client has ever, ever, ever asked me for one, but because I wanted it for my own um, street cred, for my um, 
appeal in the community of designers more on a peer level, not looking at a client level. And I had the fortune of doing some renovations for myself. So when I took the job on in the city and because I'm older, I just turned 50. um, And that was in 2016. I didn't have that youthful um, hesitation. I was like, I can absolutely do this. I mean, it's a thousand square foot, two bedroom, two bathroom apartment in Manhattan. Who cares? I've got this. So I didn't have that. I think the hesitation and the imposterism was me with my own peers feeling like I wanted to have that experience. Um, I wanted to start up the ranks, work for a big firm. I just had a whole other life before that. And it just wasn't going to be in the cards for me to have that past experience. And then with the business coach that I have, Gail Doby, she was like, you don't need that. People go to school forever and they don't have what you have. It doesn't, everything is not taught there. And she does have the degree um, and a finance degree too. So I think um, it wasn't with the clients. It was more with me personally. What did, how did your first career as, as an attorney inform you as a designer? Did, I mean, clearly it helped you structure your contracts. I'm going to imagine it helped (laughs) you. It helped you negotiate um, not just the not just the here's how this is going to work, but how the design. Which look, I'm wondering are are you are you interrogating your clients of sorts? It's a different type of interrogation, but I imagine it's inc- it's incredibly useful to you. Well, I definitely ask a lot of questions. I'm a question person for sure. I'm inquisitive, and when I don't know something, I even ask more questions. Um, I feel like it informs the design process because I'm more methodical, I would imagine, than some of my peers because of where I came from. I'm over-communicative because my first discipline was an attorney and not the creative side. So I don't take that for granted because I feel like everything, you know, the uh, my firm, we we laugh, but I'm like, everything needs to be in writing. We need everything in writing just so that we are all on the same page. You can't have a conversation in a vacuum that no one knows about that's never gonna work. And that's surprisingly very difficult to teach. It's second nature to me because it's like it didn't happen if it's not in writing. But for the women that work for me, um, it's hard sometimes because it seems redundant to have a conversation and follow up in an email what the conversation takeaway was or the points that were established. So I feel like the organizational component, the advocacy for the client also is a nice um, thing that we offer. I'm a very strong advocate with vendors and other contractors and things like that that happen in a job. I'm very on their side and I say that to the client. And I'm persuasive when I believe in something. I, I lay out what the design is, why we chose it and why they should do it. And that has been very useful. They follow, they often do what we ask or show them because of the way that we present it to them. So it's almost like a trial. We present everything, we ask them to pick and we, we, you know, and we direct their decisions based on what we want them to do because they're hiring our expertise. So I feel like all of that um, does definitely uh, come into play as an interior designer. I would feel so bad for, for that trade who walks in and tries to tell you how it's going to go down. Yeah, I, I would too. (laughs) It doesn't go well. (laughs) You know, we do a lot of construction projects and oftentimes a lot of the people on the construction site are surprised to see um, a woman telling them how they want their plumbing to go or their tile to be laid out. Uh, I did have a contractor's license for a short bit. um, And that was, of course you did. Of course you did. Yeah, I went and got of course that you did. too. And I, and I just said, you know what? It's better to work with someone that's in charge of people. I feel like it's like the lost boys or herding cats. Like I don't, I just want to deal with the point person. It wasn't worth it. But yeah, it is challenging sometimes. And I don't like when people try to take advantage. I don't love that. So that doesn't go well, you know. Well, it doesn't go well for them. It goes great for us. <laughs> that's hilarious. Uh, love the lost boys reference. And it's funny too, because as we, as we get further into this, um, in a bit, we're going to walk through some of your projects. And one of the things that I'm really excited to do as we walk through some of your projects, I consider you to be 
a very technical designer based on what I've seen. Um, and there'll be de- demonstration. I'll, you know, I'll kind of like lay that out and why I, why I say that. Are you a technical designer when it comes to the minutia and the detail? Um, I, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to frame this, but every designer has, has a different way of telling their story. Every design has a story to it. There's a narrative behind it. You know, architecture is most certainly a language. And I've always considered design kind of like a, um, kind of like an accent, you know, it's, there's yeah. a, there's a language to it. There's a story to it, but you also have a, a regional dialect. You have a, you have a local aspect to it. How do you tell your story? Are you a technical designer? Do you like, do you like the work to, to tell a very specific story? How do you, how do you lay that out? And where do you, where do you start in your process? the creative side? So I think it depends on the scope of the project. So we really enjoy doing reconstruction. So when someone comes to us and they want to gut renovate a kitchen bathroom, you know, obviously we start with the floor planning and the space planning of it. But I feel like every detail makes a difference down to the trim of the pillow, because that's why you hired us to do the things that you would never consider doing on your own. And having those details be so bespoke and specific to the client and their needs or what their look is or what they're looking for. So I would say those are our favorite projects to do, the renovations. We start with the space planning and how we want to lay everything out. And then it's the finishing details and the layering that really go into, I feel like, what completes a project and sets it apart from someone doing something on their own people don't consider that it gets overwhelming and we want everything to be cohesive and thoughtful. It needs to be thoughtful. Um, So that is very important to us. And I have a great team of women that we are all on the same page with that. And we all love that part of the job to make sure everything goes together, that everything has a, a rhyme or a reason to it. And it looks full, complete, fully designed to the trim on the pillow or the accessories that are on an etagere in a master bathroom. Everything. You're listening to my conversation with Kevy Murphy. We'll be right back. Design Hardware's newly remodeled showroom is where you will find a gallery-style space with a thoughtful display of products, purposefully positioned to allow unbridled exploration and discovery. High-end faucets, luxury tile, Natural stone, wood floors, and bespoke hardware selections are presented in a holistic manner, strategically arranged to stimulate creativity and transition your vision from the conceptual stage to a fully realized space. Conveniently located, free parking available, stop by to find your inspiration, collect samples, get expert advice, and tackle everything on your shopping list all in one place. Visit them online at designhardware.com or in the real world, 6053 West 3rd Street in Los Angeles. So you are a technical, you are about as technical as it gets. You're right. So so curious, (laughs) um, tell me about your experience on the remote design side. You had mentioned that you, you were doing remote before remote was a thing. And I think remote and virtual has has become quasi ubiquitous and it will be ubiquitous at, at some point. Um, tell me about your experience. Tell me about the process of going through learning how to do remote, how to do virtual, how to make it so that it worked for you. Sure. So the first part that I was referencing was when I decided to be a designer and I formed an LLC in 2014 and I didn't have anyone to help me. And my two best friends that were available from college, one was in Boston and the other was in New Hampshire. So one did the bookkeeping reconciling and one did more of like the right hand with me and the ordering and the space planning with no design experience either um, remotely. I was on the ground with the clients um, physically working with them, but those two back office, if you will, were not with me. They were remote. Then comes COVID and we're in a project. They're no longer with me because now I have full-time employees. I have an office now Um, and COVID happens and we're in a project in Texas and we can't go there. So we went once to the job site, took measurements, plans, 
And we basically came up with a method of presentation that we still use today with the clients that are here, where we developed a PowerPoint presentation and we would ship the materials to the client for the meetings, completely labeled in a box for them to follow along with the PowerPoint presentation, have the product in front of them so they could touch and feel and look at in real time, not on a computer screen, because we know how that works with colors, especially with design. And we really kind of took that method and morphed it into how we work today. So we can do remote and in real time present, which is how we do everything now. But that COVID happening and the shutdown really forced us into that because we had a whole house project in Prosper, Texas that we couldn't go to and the client couldn't come here either. So that was like, it wasn't, it really wasn't that challenging. My senior designer kind of just came up with, Let's do a PowerPoint. This is going to be great. We'll show them the fabric, send them every single thing in a box, and we'll have the meetings and go through it. And then we'll trade back and forth what new materials we need to send and have them send back the old ones that they like. They'll label them and put them in bags on how we're going to move forward with them. I like all these, and I'm going to put them in this bag. And then we would re-meet and discuss again and then go through the next selections that we wanted to go through. So it worked out awesome. That's genius. How has that How has that now evolved into what's next. I mean, look, setting the table. Once once something happens, the propensity for it to happen again is significantly greater. We have had a pandemic. There will be another one. Um, at some point, the fact is we just got lucky when it was SARS or what happened before SARS. The fact is we got lucky that it didn't happen before COVID. It will happen again. And I feel like now we know, and it, it won't be another hundred years before it happens again. So now that we know this, the lessons learned, remote virtual design, how has that changed your firm? And what is the next iteration of that look like for you? Well, we haven't gone to virtual design because most of the clients have wanted people to come in to the home still. You know, they, when given the choice, they want us to be present and we do too, right? So I feel like if another pandemic happens, we're definitely prepared because of the first one. We know how to um, pinch hit and pivot and go to the next step if we need to, which would be similar to the first step. We would be doing the Zoom presentation. We would have a um, PowerPoint presentation for them and then a PDF of that for them to go back and be able to ruminate over and take a look at without us, you know, because obviously it's easier for them to be more truthful with themselves without being on the spot with me. Um, and think about it. And then also the idea of sending them materials and having them look locally at places that we have also by our showrooms that they may have in their own showrooms and making point contacts around the country with different clients of places for them to look locally for the same materials that we're showing them in New York. So I feel like we would probably do a similar thing and take it to the next level and elevate it by reaching out to local showrooms and things like that. I'm totally shifting gears on you now Um, because, and you're the perfect person. I'm, (laughs) I'm really excited to actually have this for years. I have done um, my backgrounds in broadcast. I'm a journalist um, and I came from broadcast radio for years. I have had, I have held uh, panel conversations and I've moderated and I've had episodes that I've discussed IP intellectual property rights that, that you have through your creative work, protecting those rights, as well as not trampling others through imagery on social media and, and that sort of thing. It's a really important issue. And I'm asking it um, more now because there is, now that we're on the, uh, on the precipice of an AI revolution, and we are, um, it's, it's really incredible what, what AI and machine learning is gonna do for the industry. From the time you started your your firm, tell me about your your views on IP. Um, do you do you shoot professionally shoot every project? Do you do you protect your copyright from the designs that you have? Because you know, getting a, a a trademark or having a copyright is one thing; defending it is another. Um, not trampling on somebody else's, you know, using their photography on social, that kind of thing, which is something that just kind of runs rampant in, in our industry. Um, because of your previous career, how, how do you approach that? 
Well, from a client perspective, we explain to them that the design that they're paying for is our intellectual property. You do that. You do that. We do say that to them. Then we say that that is our intellectual property. It's our design. This is the thing, though, just to take it like a very lower level. Um, You can have the best contract in the world, the best one, ironclad, the client's wrong. It is only as good as if you're going to effectuate that contract. And who's going to court every single time? Because there's a couple of problems that happen with that. Who wants to be known as the designer that takes their clients to court? That's number one, right? Okay, this, then, and I'm the prime candidate. This girl's a lawyer, and now she's going to sue everybody when they don't do what her contract says, right? Because we have other things in there. Um, you know, the contract reads that there's a minimum amount that they need to purchase. And when a client doesn't do that, am I coming after them for that amount? You know, that's the the question, but I do put it in there and I explain it to them too. When we have the meeting that we get, that's part of how we get compensated for our intellectual property, which is the design, the actual design, and then a commission off of the things that we sell to you. So those are the two compensation methods. And that's what I explain. And that's how I break into the intellectual property with regard to the photographer. Now those contracts are great because I did all the work on the design that you're photographing, but you own my design idea and your rights to the photography and I get nothing. It's just an industry standard. I don't know, you know, I've had photographers that I've worked with that have been amazing with no contract. And the idea is that it's almost like a gentleman's handshake. If I'm gonna use it in a magazine, they need to compensate you or at least have a conversation before they publish it. Social media, we're allowed to use them on um, Instagram with credit. And most photographers, I believe, are fine with Instagram. It's helpful for them too, um, you know, because if because designers look on Instagram. So if I'm looking on Instagram and I like, you know, Mrs. Smith's design, I'm going to look at the photographer and say, "Oh, wow, that's a cool photographer. Let me go look at that." Which is how we got our last, our you know, our last photographer. That's how we found him. So I feel like they have the corner on the market when they talk about intellectual property and having to pay for it for sure. We don't get every project shot. We, we are choosy about that because we do work sometimes on projects and we're proud of them. It's just a real expense to have it professionally shot, to have it styled. So it needs to be the right project that is in line with our branding and what we're looking to um, put on the internet. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yes. Um, and it's really interesting. I am, uh, I'm, I'm taking a, a certificate course through MIT on AI and machine learning um, wow. because I've done, I've done some reporting on it. And I, I think it's absolutely fascinating what's happening right now. And we're entering this phase right now where it's, it's really interesting. I think everyone who's, at least in our industry, who's kind of looked at AI and anyone who's, who's messed around with chat GPT or, yes. um, Mid-journey or, yeah, <laughs> it's really fun and it's really fascinating. I think we're going to get inundated and flooded with, um, with blog content in the very near future. And um, it's not going to be edited and you're going to have gross factual errors all over the place because it's not ready yet. It's not perfected sure. yet. But a lot of people are just going to say, oh, well, look, I'm just going to type in some prompts. I'm going to, I'm going to get out a, a five paragraph article. I'm going to make it a blog post without editing. I think um, the, uh, the legal exposure to publishing something that hasn't been vetted, that has gross factual errors and, and possibly you know, does some material damage, we're going to see that. I think it's going to be significant. I think anyone who gets an image from, um, you know, from mid-journey and publishes, you know, yes, it doesn't exist. It's, it's real. But once you publish it and it's out there, then it becomes real. And if there's a photographer who says, wait a minute, that's not, that's my framework. That's this project. If they can demonstrate that, I just think, and, and I wanted your take on this because, you know, you're a, you're a lawyer and you kind of, you, you recognize some of these things. I think that there's, there's a certain amount of peril that is potential. And I think what it does too, is it kind of puts the onus and the responsibility back on the designers to make sure that you cover off on, on everything you do. And it sounds like, it sounds like you do that, which puts you in rarefied air. Well, I try to do that, but going back to the photographer, that's saying that's my frame out there. 
what it so the bigger question with the lawsuit is what are the damages so it is your frame out there so someone misused your photo how are you damaged by that right what lawyer is taking that and that's the other thing they have these contracts too but if you post it obviously if it's in a magazine in print and someone publishes that without asking and it's let's say it's el decor even though i'm sure they shoot their own things they're not taking a photograph from someone. They're reshooting the, sh the person's design. Um, what are the damages that you didn't get money? And how much money didn't you get when they put it on Instagram? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it sounds like such a great thing. But when you really look at the lawsuit and you think about it, who's going to take that? They're going to have to pay for them, the, the photographers to pay for someone to take that lawsuit. They're going to pay for it and then ask for the money back in damages. And then what are their damages that they're they're mad that someone posted their picture? I'm just saying like that's the hard part about the lawsuits. And it's the hard part about the contracts too when a client breaks a contract. You know, unless it's millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands or thousands, like it's hard to sometimes you have to make that decision, is this the right move? Do I do I go after someone because they breached the contract for this amount and is it worth it to me? The same with the photographer because guess what? When, you know, Mrs. Smith uses the photo and the photographer sues her, am I using that photographer? I don't think so. Probably not, even though I don't plan on doing that. But now I know that they're litigious and now I'm thinking I'm not interested. There's a lot of other photographers I'd rather work with. So it's, e it's easy in like a classroom setting, right? To say, these are our options, but what are we really going to do? We have the contract because it's a bark. It's to stop people from doing things. Preemptive, to look at it and say, I signed a contract and it says I'm supposed to do these things. And if I don't do these things, this is what's going to happen, hopefully. But then if the person doesn't do those things, the onus turns back to the designer or the photographer to then execute that and say, okay, we're going to go to court now for the you know $10,000, which sounds great. But by the time you get a lawyer, by the time, like for what? So it better be a really good lawsuit and really good intellectual property. And I just want to point out for those listening that it's very, <laughs> I love how you say it and I love how you put it out there, but you're also an attorney. So if it happens for you, you're going to go defend your, your own in this case. I am, and I, I am, but I'm probably not even doing it. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I totally, I totally get that. And, and my, my point here too, is that, um, and again, like you said, it's it's only intellectual property is only worth what you're willing to do to defend it. Well, absolutely. And, and, and that's true. And that being said, it's important because I, I think it's an important part of the industry. And, and because in any, in any creative industry, and I go back to the music industry, you know, what what musicians have lost in their in their rights right. to publish. And I think it's an interesting discussion now because we're on the precipice of, like I said, an absolute boom in content creation, development, and publication. We're about to be flooded with content and it's going to get very, very interesting, um, especially for those who actually do the creating. Right. Yeah. Speaking of which, this is, this is actually, not that the interviews aren't fun for me. I, I love our <laughs> chats. I really do. Um, when I get to go shift over to the projects. I just, because that's, that's kind of like where the rubber meets the road. That's where all of the things and ideas and concepts that we talk about. Now you get to see them manifest in a, in an actual project. That is, I just love doing that. Um, and I wanted to start with the, the, the first one, um, Ash, how do you pronounce this? Ash, Asherokin. Asherokin. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm starting with this one, not because it was the first one on the project. I've looked at all the projects you have, you have listed and I want to go through a couple of these. This one to me is, it really represents like this aspect of, of you as, a, as a, a highly technical creative. I'm looking through what must be, you know, 20 images. And as you would expect, for for a professionally shot project, not only is there nothing out of place, and believe me, I've looked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> when I you saw this, I was, that. <laughs> I was like, my gosh. So 
the manner in which this is styled is fantastic. And you can, you can tell that the styling, you know, has been done, but it's not about the styling. It's, it's about the work. And so tell me, tell me about this project. So this is actually my beach house, which makes this is now it says even so much more. I love that. Okay, (laughs) go ahead. So we had, we had purchased this beach house and this is when I hired a designer back in 2000 and I'm going to say 12. Um, It was a friend of a friend and we became really close. And that's sort of what started my, let's go back to school and check this out and see if I like this career, this could be fun. And we had a flood in 2016 after the summer, the air handler, the coil on the air handler burst and for three weeks was spewing water through the house. So it had to be gut renovated. And my husband said, well, look on the bright side. You now work, you have this design business, you get to do it all and fight with the insurance company. So this is great. (laughs) It's like, awesome. (laughs) Best of both worlds for you. Yeah. You could do everything. It's wonderful. Um, which by the way, he never came to the house to see the flood. He never even knew what happened. He just showed up at the end when it was all done. Yeah. It's great. Typical. Yeah. Um, he's also a lawyer. So, um, that was really awesome. And, uh, what wound up happening was we had to do everything over from the beginning. So I got to do everything myself. So that's, it's in, it's actually on the North shore on Long Island on the sound. It's part of the village of Asherokin, which is in the town of Huntington for people that are familiar with the North shore of Long Island. And we bought it when we lived in Brooklyn. Uh, we would take the kids all the time on the weekends. Uh, they loved it because we lived in an apartment. And then we kept so, it. <laughs> I, it's it's amazing. Um, I I love yeah. this. So this was... This is just, what kind of client are you? Not designer, but what kind of client are you? Because this is your project. So yep. you're working as designer, but you're also working as client. And, I, and I'm curious, what did you learn about yourself as a, as a, as a client? Um, I definitely gravitate towards things that are obscure and uh, unique. I want things that no one's ever seen before. I want a wow factor. Um, I love color, which I knew that already, but I, I would say I, I like things that are custom and really different. Uh, you know, I put tile on the ceiling in a powder room and people thought that was like mind blowing. Meanwhile, Michelangelo and the Sistine Chapel designed the entire ceiling (laughs) and it was, I just thought it was super fun to do that. Right. Um, and people really thought that was fun in the powder room to do. Um, and I would say that's what I, I I like unique things, I would say. And I like to work and research to find those things as a client. I'd like to start in the kitchen. Sure. And it's so funny because, and I've said this before, I I almost get tired of hearing myself say it, but it, it bears repeating, um, every year, like around December or January, you get those lists the listicles that talk about here are all the things that are going to be popular in design in 2023. And here are all the things that are going out of style in 2023. And they're all, they're all ridiculous. But the one, the one that is interesting to me that you always find on both lists that is going to be incredibly popular and is going out of style is the white kitchen. Yeah. I, right. I mean, yes. And I feel like my father, interestingly enough, who I love, who's also a lawyer, says to me when we're doing the kitchen the first time, I don't know about a white kitchen. I was like, what? (laughs) With zero design background. I think that's a mistake, Kev. That is a mistake. The white kitchen, I think it's a mistake. I'm like, comes from the man who we have a bar in our living room growing up and he had to have a red sink. There was nothing red in the whole room, but a red sink had to be there. So I was like, dad, I think I've got this. Pretty sure a white kitchen with white marble is going to look amazing. I'm, I'm good. So I don't, I think that those lists are interesting to see trends, but I think that it also depends on the person. If you like a white kitchen, which I do, um, and I feel like in a certain setting, I, I also like a black kitchen and a navy blue kitchen and a green kitchen and a wood kitchen. So I feel like I don't necessarily agree with all of the things being out of style. I think a white kitchen is actually timeless. 
it's in a perfect setting in certain homes, a certain aesthetic. And in this particular home, given the whitewash of the floors and everything else, I thought it was like a perfect, um, and it's very refreshing and beachy. And that's what this house is. It's a beach house. I'd actually say a white kitchen in a beach house is very um, typical. I feel like that for me was atypical for me to do something that was expected, but I just liked it so much and it looked so pretty. I didn't care. So a couple of things that caught my eye. And by, by the way, as I'm looking at this Wolf Range, um, that image, right? And, and by the way, I should I should preface this by saying that as, as usual, I say this all the time. Um, yes, I know it's a podcast. Um, so you're listening to this. Uh, go, to the sh- go to the show notes and click on the link to Kevy's website, uh, kmurphyinteriors.com. Uh, you'll have a link in the show notes and you can follow along the projects with us. So I'm looking at this image it's the vertical image, you know, over the over the wolf yeah. range. I stared at this image the the first time I looked at it for probably five minutes, um, and a couple of things. I, I was just I, I had kind of like that RCA dog with the tilt head, kind of looking at things. I was like. <laughs> I, I love, so there's, there's so much here and I, I kind of want to touch on, on the technicality of this design and, and a couple of things I want to point out. First of all, the mixed metals are beautifully done. Um, I want to know about the choice in countertops uh, against that, that backsplash tile, which I think is absolutely phenomenal. And then the, the one thing that I kept staring at too is you went completely against um, the, the typical way of applying a pot filler, which would generally be lower and in the center of the range, you went higher and offset. I've never seen that before. Not that it doesn't exist, but I've never noticed it before. And I'm fascinated by it because it is, it is both more functional and it looks properly placed. So why did you do that? How did this all come together? And what's the, what's sort of the methodology behind the work? Okay. So I'll deal with the pot filler first. I felt like I wanted it to be offset because I wanted it to be um, not in the center of the backsplash. Cause I really, really loved the backsplash and I'm not going to be filling uh, at least I'm not seven pots of water at the same time. So I felt like we could relegate the left side to be the burners that get the pot filled water. Do you know? So that's what I was thinking in my head. And I actually do that all the time. Anytime someone gives me the choice, I do that. Um, the marble was actually, I am friends with Matt Carlin. My kids went to preschool with his kid and he is the owner of Nemo tile And he was in Italy and he sent me pictures and he bought the slabs for me when he was in Italy. So I thought that was awesome and and helped us. It's a really great discount on them, which they would be, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. They're um, statuary white extra. They're beautiful and they're mitered. And then he did the backsplash for me too. Uh, We did a design and then we just took the statuary white extra and made that the backsplash. So the, the design is able to be visualized based on the grout lines, but the material is all the same. So it's a busy design that's made less busy by the fact that the material is all the same. So wait a minute. So that backsplash is the same material as the countertop. Yes. And it's just cut into pieces and it's not from the same slabs, but it's statuary white extra and it's water jetted into um, that uh, design. And it's also has high lows on it. So some pieces are polished and some pieces are honed to give you a little bit of a dimensionality. I, I, I love this and your choice, obviously, I mean, obviously I say, obviously, because what you just described, especially with that backsplash, um, tile, if you, if you wanted to showcase that you're certainly not going to put uppers. So using the using the open shelving and again, the mixed metals to, to offset and make it pop, I think is just, was just a remarkable choice. Well, thank you. And it's a beautiful space to look at. Um, you know, it takes the back wall of the kitchen and it's just pretty. And I like the open shelves too. And they're decorative. Obviously I'm not storing that many, you can store stuff on them, but the kitchen is big enough that we could have had that, um, option. We have enough storage. 
Yeah. And to look at the opposite side of this, uh, the opposite side of the kitchen, you can definitely see the whitewashed floors. You can see that you carried through the, the counter and the tile materials to the upper side, to the other mm -hmm. side where you do have the uppers. Um, yeah. and, and I mean, this kitchen is just so incredibly functional and it's, it's beautiful. Thank you. It's beautiful. The, I'm calling, I'm going to call this the family room or a den with, with the green. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, your love of color clearly, clearly comes out here. Tell it, transcends. Me, <laughs> it really does. It really does. Tell me about the, the one thing that I think is often overlooked is the actual accessorizing. Uh, I think, yeah. I think accessorizing is an art form and you had mentioned sort of placing things that were important to you. How did you accessorize this space? Um, well, I loved the, um, animals from worlds away. Those are from, um, global home and it's from dwell. I believe I saw those and I was like, oh, I love those animals, even though it's a beach house and it was kind of like a Noah's Ark thing. I just thought they were so pretty. And I love that they were gold because the USM hauler is the green piece, which is really the statement piece in the whole room. I don't know if you're familiar with that company. Mm -hmm. They are incredible. Um, and I was like, I'm not spending all of this money to have a white or a black bookcase system. Like, that's crazy. I'm not doing that. It's my house. I'm going to go nuts and I'm going to pick green and green is the new neutral. And that's what I'm doing. And um, so, you know, the nice thing about USM Hauler, they have a showroom in Soho. Um, everything is made from them. Like they make it from scratch, your piece, everything down to recessing the uppers, which they fought with me. They didn't want to do that because they're much more modern, but I took this modern office system. And I said, I want you to recess the upper cabinet to make it more like a traditional bookcase. And they had to get like special permission from headquarters to do that, which they did. And they did it, but the, it's a really cool system because there's drawers, there's um, cabinets that flip up. Like you can't see it so much in the system, but if you go to their website, it is so cool the way that you can design the width, the depth, everything. So I felt like I wanted the pieces that were put on there to pop. I obviously have some books. I have some conch shells from some of our trips to the Caribbean that we brought back on the top shelf. Um, and then just some cool like nautical things. I have like this stone whale that was carved out. I have this knotty piece of... Um, wood with like a gold spray on it from made goods. Um, and I just went to town and just got a bunch of things and then used things. We went to Nantucket the summer that we couldn't use our house. We rented a house there and I found this place called Sylvan Antiques and I bought a bunch of things from them too and kept them to decorate the house with when I knew it was going to be done. The accessorizing juxtaposed against that wallpaper too is just there's so much texture in yeah, this I love room. the wallpaper i mean this is a very very classic wallpaper from colon sun i mean everybody has seen a version of this they make it without the pairs i like the gold pairs because i thought that was fun and then the other thing that was kind of thoughtful and like a little bit of a funny thing the uh window treatments are leaves because there's no leaves on the trees <laughs> i thought that that was funny <laughs> <laughs> that is funny i love that yeah. And again, technical and detailed. And I, and I love that. Um, jumping to what can only be the master ensuite uh, bathroom is yeah. just stunning. Yeah, they did. That's a great, the best view of the house. I mean, okay. So there's, there's kind of like a, a philosophy that goes to designing a bathroom because the idea of a spa-like bathroom and a luxurious place, it's not just a get in and get out anymore. It's a, it's a, it's a place to reflect. It's a place to rewind. It's a place to recharge. Um, this is yours. So between that tub with that incredible view the, the arches, the tile, just so much went into this space. What is the, what is that, what does that say? It, two parts, you as designer, you as client, because this is your sanctuary. Yes. 
So, well, it's really my kid's sanctuary because we have a bathtub where they used to all take baths because they were little. Now they can stand and they don't need baths anymore. Um, so we would spend a lot of time in this bathroom as a family. All We have music in there hanging out because I have four kids and they'd all be bathing and hanging out. So they'd be in, jumping out of the bathroom into the bath, into the shower, out of the bathtub and changing and, you know, getting ready for bed. So we spent a lot of time in this bathroom as a family. So Sanctuary, I don't know as a uh, washroom, but regardless, really cool memories. Um, I wanted to really go to um, make it very relaxing, neutral, which is usually not how I design, but I liked it. It's got um, Venetian plaster above the tile chair rail, which is also another nice wall application. It's like dimensional because I felt like it just didn't look good with the flat paint the dimensionality of the Venetian plaster above the chair rail, I love. And the vaulted ceiling was something I wanted to try out. Um, and it came out great. They did a great job with the design of it. And um, it, it came out great. And it is, it's extremely relaxing. The floor tile again from Nemo uh, with the design of all different grays and white marbles. Uh, and I just tried to really think of everything. I love the quatrefoil. So that's in the backlight fixtures. Um, and it was like a culmination of everything. And again, still a little, I'd say luxury beach, right? Because it's still the gray and the white, but it's definitely more of an elevated bathroom than you would typically think of when you thought of a beach house for sure. Um, and you have to remember the first time I did this bathroom, I was coming from an apartment and my master bathroom in Brooklyn Heights really should not have been called a master anything. I mean, it was crazy how small it was. Uh, so when we got here, we were like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. And then we got to redo it. So um, I think that was my thought process. We're going to spend a lot of time in here. The kids still love going in here. My husband loves the steam shower and it's a beautiful view. You wake up in the morning, you go into the bathroom and you're like, it can't be a bad day today. It's awesome. Right? Summer out there. Yeah, it is gorgeous. And at nighttime too, don't sleep on the nighttime. When I get up in the nighttime to use the bathroom, when it's a full moon, it is bright in that bathroom and you can see the moon that hits the water. It's gorgeous. I mean, it's a beautiful, the view really is 90% of it. I can't take credit for that. <laughs> but you can take credit for how it was framed. Sure. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I love that. And, and again, that's, I, when I talk about technical design and I talk about seeing the unseen and be, having, having the capacity to visualize what is possible, that really is too another one of those superpowers of designers that I think is, is too often overlooked. And I just think this is a perfect example of that. I, I, I absolutely love that. So jumping from there into Flower Hill 3. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I'm jumping directly into the bathroom again. Yeah. That backsplash tile yes. is just stunning. It's so fun. That's artistic tile. And it's so cool because the client was saying when I found this tile as the inspiration spot, the client, this was a gut renovation and the before photos are um, staggering comparatively. And she just wanted a better bathroom, more storage. We closed up a window, which we don't generally do to get more storage and have the matching eight like um, armoires on either side of the bath. But that we started with the tile and she said, I'm into having lilac marble. That's awesome. She's like, that's so unique. And then we kind of carried the light lilac through it with like a Philip Jeffries vinyl covering and on the floor of the shower too. So the bathroom is actually, it's like a, a really dirty lilac-y um, color. The, the behind, on that wall, the back, that backsplash, I'm calling yes. it a backsplash, but um, yes, right. the, the did you- did you def did you define the layout of that? Did you did you set up that layout yourself, or did the did the tiles come pre predisposed to being laid out that way? Did you did you do anything to modify it? No, they came predisposed. You had to pick the starting part, but they're a mosaic. It's a water jet mosaic, so it comes like that. Yeah, and it's really interesting too because if you look at in the mirror at the mm -hmm. tile in the shower. Mm -hmm. that juxtaposition of that is just, I, I just love it. I just love the way that there are so many different patterns 
And it's not that the, you know, the, the, the color, the color is, is very complimentary. Obviously there's nothing shocking to it, but all of the texture laid out in the tile is just, is just fascinating. It's wonderful. And with, with that, with that fixture, I just, I love this bathroom. Yeah, it's fun. And it's such a nice uh, change from what they had. It came out great. They were really happy about it. Do you have a favorite project? I really, I mean, I would say like one of my favorites because it was such a different project was the one that we did, um, the Lake House, which is uh, Chapin Estates. Let me go there and I'll follow along with you. Okay. Because that was... First of all, it's one of my favorite clients. It's the first client I had, the one that had the city apartment. Yeah. And he did even less work on this apartment, this house. He bought this house, saw it like once, bought it, and then didn't come back till it was designed. (laughs) And everyone on his desk was like, you have no idea what she's doing. And he's like, no, she's never going to do something that I don't think is better than I can do myself. So I'm all good with it. So I really love this project because it was so outside of what we normally get asked to do. And I feel like we really did a great job of it with the resources. Um, I have a before and after. We don't have it on the website, but I have a before and after, which I will send you after so you can look at it for your viewing pleasure because how bad it was and what it looks like. I mean, he was just like flabbergasted when he came. He didn't even know. So I loved it. I loved everything from doing the kitchen with the little stick details. If you see, we had like these cool, like um, we used twigs on some of the uh, panels or the refrigeration. And I loved the island. You can see that picture with the kitchen island. I mean, the floor plan transformation, everything. I, I really thought this project was so fun and it shut down in the middle of COVID and we worked on it through COVID also. So it was... Um, and one of the things that I think is so fun about this project is the, do you see the basement layer? It's the one with the pool table in it, mm-hmm. the, um, the custom poker table. He wanted a custom poker table, uh, which was so fun. But if you look in the picture that shows the sofa with that gnarled piece of wood, do you see that decorative mm-hmm. element? Mm-hmm. That was like a root system that I found the first day we went to go look at the house. And I told the contractor, leave it in the garage, let it dry out. We're going to use that later. And I love that, that we cleaned it up and put it in his house. And it was like on his front lawn. So I love that too. I absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But again, you know, I just keep going back. That, that seems to be the manner in which you, you approach the work is every detail, every detail is, is considered. Well, we try to do that. and, And we actually styled this ourselves. We did not have a stylist. We did it. Me and the team did this ourselves, which was, Okay. So, so wait a minute. I, okay. So I love this and, and I'm just going to, I'm going to drill down on that a little bit because that just further drives home the point. If you look at these images, the styling of what you did down to scrolling down to the bottom, there are two images of the Adirondack chairs overlooking the water. Yes. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have one that's offset to the side and you have the other, which is looking directly out. If you notice you styled them differently based on the, based on the, the, the contextual nature of the picture on, on how the, on on how, so you move the bottle from one side to the other, you, you move the, you, you moved everything so that stylistically you could see it from a different vantage point, which, which added to each image. And what that, what that tells me, I mean, I'm, I'm seeing a level of detail that I don't often see just in the styling of it, in the composition of how you wanted this portrayed. And, and the reason I I'm, I'm leaning in so heavily on this is because I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a correlation. I'm making the, the assumption that if you're going to the depths of styling this detailed in the design itself, you're styling the design to the lifestyle and the life of the person for whom you're, you're designing it. Absolutely. Yeah. That's why they're paying for us. Like we're a full service luxury design firm. We think of everything. That's our, we even for this client, I got a list of sundries filled out 
a grocery shop, the refrigerator was stocked, the alcohol was stocked, sunblock, toothpaste, toothbrushes, toilet paper, every single thing was in that house when they came. That's what they pay for. There's, I'm running low on time and I'm going to keep you a little bit longer and I apologize sure, for that no in worries. advance, but there, there is one, one project that I wanted to actually ask you about too, specifically one part of the project, and that is the ceilings in Flower Hill too. The ceilings in Flower Hill too. Sure. Oh yeah. In the living room. No, not just oh, the living room, but in the kitchen as well. So oh, that living room, I, I absolutely love that. Um, in the living room, beautiful, stunning. It looks like there's also some detail in what might be another living room or a family room. Yep. The um, and, and, and yeah. then in the kitchen, I'm curious, is that, is that a lacquer? Is that a, a wall, a wall covering, a vinyl wall covering that you put on the ceiling? Is it patent leather? What is that? That is just a high gloss lacquer over a parquet de Versailles. So what we did was we used parquet de Versailles to like inform the entire design. And you can see it laid out in the um, backsplash ha is a custom parquet de Versailles as well. And then on the island, you can sort of see it on the left-hand side by the stool. You can see the parquet de Versailles. And that is what is inlaid in the coffers and the ceiling as well. That's just crazy. I love that. Yeah, I was really happy with that. We just thought it was different and we mixed the black and white again, a little more traditional, but super fun. Well, and what you also did is, you know, you, you counterbalance the white cabinetry on the exterior of the kitchen with the, with the black cabinetry mm -hmm. on the, on the Island with the, with the white countertop against the black countertop. And then, I mean, Again, just the details with it with the offset uh, pot filler with the with the black around the window, and then that lacquered that highly lacquered ceiling, which then bounces the light off the black back down into the kitchen. I it's just stunning to me. I just I absolutely love this. Oh, thank you. This is the same. Yeah, this is this was really fun, and the backsplash I thought was super fun too with them to make that uh, custom make it to match the would. And at the same time, I kind of want to draw back to what we had sort of coming full circle and you as with experience and as an attorney being able to craft a narrative, craft a story, and then, and then sell it to the clients because they have to buy your vision too. I, when you're selling this idea of, Hey, we're going to go with white cabinetry on the outside, and then we're going to go with black cabinetry on the interior. And then we're going to go with white countertops against black countertops. And there's so much detail, my head would explode, but clearly you saw this going in what you wanted this, you envisaged this as you wanted it to be. And your clients, your clients trusted you. And there's something to be said for that. That's, that's right. That's a lot of it. The clients trusting is a lot of it. And also we've been using a lot of photorealistic imaging too, to give the clients the ideas as well. And that has been over the last year, and that has been really great with convincing them um, any kind of hesitation and also giving them something to look forward to, like the design in real life, all the things that we're talking about. Yes, the drawings and the CADs and things like that, but the photorealistic um, uh, perspective is really uh, such a great tool that we've been engaging in lately with the clients too. It just convinces them with any hesitation, they're like, oh my goodness, of course we want to do that, which I already knew, but now we just need, it's like a couple of pieces of more evidence that we need. <laughs> okay. So by the way, a couple of pieces, more pieces of evidence that you need. And by the way, does an attorney ever ask a question to which they don't already know the answer? No. No. Why would you? <laughs> <laughs> Why would you? And so as a, as a designer, you know, knowing which, what the outcome is going to be and then being able to structure the narrative and the conversation with the clients to say, to get them to the same conclusion that you are, it's, it's not a manipulative thing. It's basically using the skills that they are hiring you because you possess in, in practical application. And, and to that, I think there's an art form as well. Yes. And I, I agree with you. And it's not, you know, in the beginning, I was like, I'm not really a salesperson. And I had a sales coach and she's like, a thousand percent you are. You're just not 
a used car salesperson and that's what you're thinking of. You're selling what you believe in and they're right. I would do any of these things that I'm selling them myself. Does that make sense? So I believe in it. So it's not in my head selling because it's something I believe in. If that is kind of, if that's making sense, it's not like I'm saying, pick this green kitchen. And I'm thinking, oh goodness, this is going to be horrible, but I'm going to get paid. Like I want everyone to be happy. You know, at the end of the day, you want people to feel happy with the space you've created for them and walk away and be like, thank goodness I hired them. They did such an amazing job. I could never have done this myself, which we all know at the beginning, we just need to convince them because we didn't talk about this at all. Maybe the next time you have me on, but like HGTV is killing us. Like I, I, nothing can be done the way that they do that on television. People are always like, I don't know how you do this. It's so hard. It's called a job. It's a job for a reason. It's like, you wouldn't go to perform your old surgery. You can't do that because you're not trained. You wouldn't represent yourself in court. I mean, you can, but you wouldn't all of you wouldn't perform like dental surgery, cleanings. It's a job. This is a job too. And it requires attention to detail, organization, confidence, experience, knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. So I feel like that is challenging. That's a very challenging part of this job, which is new to this field versus being an attorney. Nobody ever challenged me as an attorney. They did what I told them to do because I was the one with the most knowledge in the room. I'm competing against Pinterest, HGTV, all of that. So it's hard. So whatever tools I can employ to help them see the vision, to let them feel comfortable that they're making the right decision with us, I do. And sometimes it's only one room and then they don't care anymore. And then when they reuse us, they don't care at all. So we had to and, with the reuse. Yeah, no, I, I love that. Um, Kevi, Thank you for taking the time today. This was so much fun. I, I absolutely love this. I love I the walkthrough. So I love your story. This was amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much. We are living in a time of incredible growth, both technologically and creatively, with respect to interior design, exterior design, and architecture. There is no question. There are companies thinking differently about the business of design and how to make products super serve those for whom they're being made. One of those companies, and one of my favorites, is Moya Living, designer and fabricators of some of the most stunningly beautiful, incredibly durable, and highly functional kitchen, bath, and outdoor kitchen cabinetry on the market today. Powder-coated steel with stunning lines, vibrant colors to fit any design style or aesthetic a history of designing cabinetry for the scientific community. So you know it's been tested in some of the truly the most harsh conditions available. Moya O'Neill is the CEO and founder of Moya Living. She's the inspiration behind the design. Designers, their specification process is so simple. It will make your job so much easier. Check them out online through the socials at Moya Living their website, moyaliving.com, and in the real world, their live kitchen showroom in Fountain Valley, California. Thank you, Kevi. Incredible story. Love the work. Thank you so much for, for taking part of this. I, I love these stories. <laughs> I do. You, you did not take the easy path, did you? Uh, thank you to my partners and sponsors, Thermosol, Moya Living, and Design Hardware for your continued support of both Convo by Design and the design community. Love working with you guys. Um, and if anyone who is listening wants to know just what I find so special about these companies and why we've been together so long as partners, you know, of Convo by Design, email me, convobydesign at outlook.com or on Instagram at Convo by Design with an X. By the way, I'm also going to encourage you to continue sending me uh, show suggestions, questions, and uh, guest ideas because I love them all. Uh, in 2024, I've been collecting all of the questions that I get asked on a regular basis. And I think one episode I'm just going to, uh, I think I'm going to dedicate to answering all of the questions that I've received in the last four to six months, because some of them are really great. So thanks for doing that. Keep them coming. And thank you for listening. I could not do this without you. I wouldn't want to do this without you. So thank you for listening. And uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate it. And until next week, be well and take today first. (laughs) 